Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into the topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy and successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president and CEO of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with high net worth families across the country for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to the January 2024 edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I talk to Chief Investment Officer Bob Weiss about what's going on in the markets and the investment universe right now. Welcome back to Wealthy Behavior, Bob. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Sammy. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm imagining investors are hoping 2024 is a repeat of 2023 performance-wise, although there was a lot of angst to get to those numbers. There were some roller coasters, particularly around yields and, and the bond market. But where do you want to begin? As I know, you've been thinking about 2023 and and some takeaways and some lessons learned for investors. And you're also looking at where the numbers ended up, you know, inflation-wise and rate-wise as it impacts, you know, portfolio decisions for this year. Yeah, maybe to start, we can talk about what happened in the last couple of months, like Q4 of 2023, and then look more at 2023 for the year and, and how it played out compared to expectations. Sure. So to start in in November and December, uh, we had very good inflation reports um, measured differently, some for the, the PCE, the CPI, uh, but in general, and, and there's different ways of measuring inflation, like core, core plus, super core, and are you doing 12 months, one month, three months? There's all, all, all different ways of calculating it, but without getting too much into the weeds, broadly, inflation is coming down. And that's a good thing because we've been fighting inflation that, that peaked up as high as 9% with, with, with the Fed raising rates. And it, inflation's coming down, that's rallying stocks. And then there was a Fed meeting in December, and it was a big test to see how is the Fed going to react to these favorable reports. And, and there's a fork in the road. They, they could say, you know, start to pivot and say, it's great, inflation's coming down and be a, a, a little a more dovish, or they could um, come in with a stiff arm and say, hey, markets, don't get excited. You know, we're still the big bad wolf and uh, we may raise rates and, and calm down. And the, the Fed was dovish at their December meeting. So in, in Q4, we had a combination of uh, good inflation reports and the Fed recognizing the good reports paired with the job market, the labor market that also has been loosening a little bit. What does loosening mean, Bob? Really, unemployment has crept up. So unemployment bottomed at 3.5%, and it got up to 39 I think now it might be a little below, but it's um, un- the un- unemployment rate has increased a little bit. And paired with that, um, job openings have gone down. So when you look at the what we've talked about, the JOLTS report, like the help wanted signs out there, um, mm-hmm. it peaked in the like 11 to 12 million range, and now it's around 8.5 million. So there's fewer jobs and more unemployed people. So the ratio of jobs available to unemployed people is about 1.4 and it peaked at two. So if you go back a year or two ago, you had two jobs for every unemployed person and inflation at 9%. Yeah, I remember talking about that with you on the podcast. That was not good. Right, and the Fed has a dual mandate, inflation and unemployment. So if you put yourself in their position back then, okay, Inflation's at 9%, big problem. And unemployment is at a 40-year low with two jobs for every person who's looking for work. That's not a problem at all. 
and it's it's shifted to more of a, a balanced situation where inflation's running still a little high, around three percent, not two, like one percent above their target, um, roughly. And unemployment is getting a little more balanced, with that that ratio being about one point four um, jobs, and the unemployment rates ticked up a tad. So, anyways, the, the Fed is reacting more in a balanced approach. Um, so that that's just all been, um, you know. Welcomed with open arms from markets, so Q4 was uh, very strong, really uh, across markets, uh, with the exception of commodities that are more of an inflation hedge. So, just looking at at some numbers um, in Q4, uh, the Russell 1000, which is U.S. large cap, was up 12 percent and finished up 26 and a half for the year. Small caps, Russell 2000 in the U.S. in, in Q4 was up 14 percent. So small caps outperform large caps in Q4. Um, but what's interesting is small caps for the year were only up 16.9. And I say only 16.9 because in Q4, they were up 14. Yeah, so it all came late for they sure. Made their year. Yeah. Along those lines, REITs, uh, US REITs were up 16.2 in Q4. For the year, wow. they were up 13.7. Hmm. So, And then like one other interesting uh, data point, the, the Bloomberg US Aggregate Bond Index and Q4 was up 6.8%. For the year, it was up 5.5%. So just like similar to REITs, it made its whole year in the quarter. Uh, so thank goodness for the fourth quarter, I guess, for investors. So the big thing there, Bob, though, is not that necessarily maybe that inflation was coming down because inflation had been coming down for a while in 2023. It's that the Fed meeting kind of cemented the, the narrative and yeah. eased concerns and I even saw that you know the Fed with their dot plot are projecting rate cuts next year. Is is that really what what kind of unleashed the market? Yeah, there's an old Wall Street adage: "Don't fight the Fed," and uh, I think it gets to that a little bit. That the Fed in the first part of the year was in restrictive territory, foot on the brake, and um, now they're you know starting to change change course. And yes, their dot plots, which is when they ask the the, the Fed officials, "Where do you see rates next year?" are definitely expecting um, some cuts. So um, now the Fed is kind of pivoting from, you know, being restrictive to, okay, now we're probably going to be more accommodative with uh, cutting rates in 2024. So the market's rallying on that. So small caps had a really strong fourth quarter, and I had noticed that they had started outperforming large caps and written about that a little bit. That is maybe something that people should consider as they position their portfolios for 2024 in easing monetary conditions at small caps. You know, um, there is a gap there between them and, and large caps in recent performance and valuations. There may be an opportunity there. Yeah, I, I think if you take the, the first three quarters of 2023, the, the story was the, the Magnificent Seven, the seven big tech stocks that um, over the, the total return for the market and, and just about everything else was left behind. And then the story in Q4 is the, the Fed pivot, there's good news on inflation, and the, the rally is, is broadening. The, the, the left behinds are are catching up. And I think we can look at that and, and kind of extrapolate that if in 2024 we see more of the same from an economic and policy standpoint, meaning inflation continues to moderate and the Fed pivot does play out. That, that that trade would, would probably continue. The market's telling us that in this in an environment that's favorable, uh, there's some catching up to do. And, and you see it in valuation data with the, the big, large tech companies trading at 
you know, premiums that are on the high end of their historical ranges and value companies, small companies, foreign companies are traded more around average or even below average in some cases. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, January 1 doesn't mean the market resets and now, you know, we start a whole new evaluation period. These market cycles don't go by calendar years. So just because your gym is full on January 2nd and 3rd with a whole new crop of New Year's resolutions participants doesn't mean that the market trends that we're building before the calendar turned won't continue. But I, I do want to get back to this kind of enthusiasm about the Fed pivot. In Inflation isn't at 2%, and they've been adamant that that's their target. You've talked about inflation being sticky. What is it that makes, I guess, people, the market, the, the Fed, in, in, in their statements and, and their dot plot, uh, information that they shared, you know, comfortable with where inflation is right now when it's still well above their target? Yeah, so the, the, the Fed looks at the PCE index, and the PCE last report um, headline is was 2.6% um, over 12 months and core 3.2, which is X food and energy. And I believe if you uh, strip out housing, you get much closer to 2%. And also if you look at six months, not 12 months, you get closer to 2% because inflation has been coming down. And housing is a big component and it is known to lag um, just the way real estate transacts. And it, it takes time from you know going under agreement to um, closing and actually the, the data going in. And then with rentals, there's just a, a lag in the calculation. So seeing the downward trajectory and having uh, the, the core be you know, in that cl close to that range, I, I think it's just more the view that we're almost there. So you're comfortable with that view. You're you're not really fighting it. No, um, it's early, but there's been some concerning headlines on residential real estate recently. So when you look at inventory, uh, you know houses that are on the market. The, the story of 2023 was inventories at record lows, and when you're going through the spring and summer, uh, you know peak real estate markets, um, that was true. That there was um, less, you know, fewer homes on the market than at any point. At that, at that seasonal adjusted time, like on June 1st, there are fewer homes on the market June 1st, 2023 than any of the prior you know, five or six years. Uh, but what we saw in November, which is the last report, um, it actually broke through the last two years. So there are more homes listed in November 2023 than November 2022 or November 2021. So you, you typically see homes come off the market um, in like near the end of the year, near the holidays, and um, inventory has been creeping up. And so so it's no longer in the last three years, at least, we're at record low inventories. That's not the case anymore. And what follows elevated inventories are price declines. And there's also been uh, a higher above average level of um, people breaking contracts, like a home goes under agreement, and then the, the buyer gets you know shaky legs and, and uh, cancels. Um, that had a spike. So we're seeing some early signs of softening in the residential real estate market. So it's something to, to keep an eye on over the next couple of months. It is tricky this time of year with, as I said, seasonality, um, but we're not seeing the effects that we have in the past where homes get um, taken off of the market. So um, there could be some weakness to come there. Yeah. And we had a great conversation with Lance Lambert in our last podcast episode of Resi Club 
who uh, does uh, residential real estate analytics and has a uh, great site and great content. And he had a lot of good things to say, uh, good things, meaning interesting things to say about how real estate could play out in 2024. And real estate is is local. So also how to look at it depending on on where you live to get a sense of you know which direction the market would go. So I'd encourage people to, to check that out. So Bob, I, I interrupted you, I guess, to dive in a little bit to the Fed pivot and you know make sure there were some, you know, reasoning behind this, and see if you were comfortable with it, which sounds like you are. How did global markets do? And then, you know, what else jumped out at you about twenty twenty three? Yeah, global markets. So, let's see. The MSCI IFA in Q four was up ten point four percent, finishing the and, year. And what is that, Bob? That's international developed stocks. Yeah, Europe, Asia, Far East. So international developed. Um, finished the year up eighteen point two or ten point four for the quarter. Developed, and then emerging markets. Uh, up 7.9 in the quarter, 9.8 for the year. So still a healthy return, but lagging uh, U.S. and international developed. A lot of that weakness is from China, um, which has had its own problems. Um, really quite different than what a lot of the developed world's facing, um, where they're not having the inflationary issues, and it's more of a, a growth challenge there. Uh, so emerging markets lagged, but still delivered you know, decent returns up about 8% from the quarter. What takeaways, Bob, do you have for investors about 2023? It's a good behavioral um, exercise to, to you look at the returns and like, wow, that was a, a great year. Just uh, double digit returns really across risk assets. Bonds did well. Bonds up, as I said, five and a half percent for the year. So it looked like smooth sailing. And let's hope for as I think you said, kind of starting. Let's hope 2024 plays out like 2023. But then you say, wait a minute, when you actually relive 2023, it was kind of a rocky year. It was a rocky year. Yeah. The, the bank crisis in March with Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, um, you know, lines at the bank as people fearing losing deposits and all the recession talk. And uh, so I, I just think it, it just gets to behavioral finance and uh, kind of be a long term investor. Be patient. Don't react to all all the news. There was also a lot of talk about you know, T-bill and chill and, you know, oh, I can get 5% in a money market. Let's just hoard cash. And that was a mistake as bonds did better than cash and stocks did, did uh, you know, three, four, five times better than cash. So I think it just reiterates discipline and, and not getting caught up in the the day-to-day -day noise. I know you've had a lot of guests from CNBC on, Sammy, and that, that's their advice too. Uh, if I were to kind of broadly <laughs> say it, uh, or summarize it um, that there's there's a lot of noise in markets and you know it, it, it was a good year for disciplined patient investors um, but there were I think a lot of opportunities to make mistakes and hopefully people didn't do that. Yeah, I had a really enjoyable conversation with Bob Pisani, you know, a, a ubiquitous at CNBC and been driving the narrative for a long time and framing it. And his main thing was nobody knows anything. <laughs> so you know, listen because stay informed, but you're not going to get any signals. Uh, from from anybody you see on TV telling you what to do. So T-bill uh, and chill. So T-bills, those yields have not come down yet. They're still well above 5%. Yes, that's right. And we were talking before, what will drive those rates to come down, what will drive money market yields to come down is mostly when the Fed does follow through on the rate cuts that the market is expecting in 2024. That's right. So the longer term yields are more impacted by market and what the market thinks 
is going to happen. The short-term stuff is much more impacted by what the Fed is actually doing. Yeah. The the 10-year treasury yield is 3.95% right now. And the one-month T-bill is 5.55. So that's what's called an inverted yield curve, where short-term yields are higher than long-term yields. That's not normal. And what will likely happen through the cycle, and we, we don't know exactly when, but at some point, short yields will go down as the Fed cuts rates. And you'll get to a more normalized level, maybe two to three percent, and the the ten year yield can stay exactly where it is at three ninety five, and then you have a more traditional upward sloping yield curve with short rates at two or three and long rates at around four, and, and that's more um, what you'd see on average over time. Great. Anything else jump out at you from twenty twenty three, or do we want to chat a little bit about the upcoming year? I guess maybe just the the one. Last thing in reflecting on 2023 would be the recession talk and how leading economic indicators were pointing negative and you don't have typically a Fed rate hiking cycles without a recession. So it seemed like, you know, where's the recession? It should be coming. And now that we have the, the benefit of hindsight, seeing inflation come down, um, I think there is something to the story that, you know, in fact, inflation was transitory when when inflation was was. Um, high in 2021 uh, from COVID and Powell was saying it's transitory, don't worry about it. And then it kind of got a little sticky and then the Fed, um, you know, went on their mission that, you know what, maybe in hindsight it was transitory because you had people staying at home and the COVID behavior, everyone buying lumber to build sheds and put on, you know, additions to their home and, but no one was at the sawmills. And then when COVID kind of broke and the world opened up, everyone was using services and, you had inflation there and it just took a little while for the economy to get back to normal. And that's what we're finally seeing. I wasn't expecting you to say that, Bob. I asked you, I think a couple months ago about whether inflation was transitory. And I think you were still upset with the Fed at that point in time. And lately I've seen just so much back and forth on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, and other places about whether it was transitory and was it not? And did the Fed fix it or did it fix itself? And at the end of the day, you don't want to get hung up too much on that because and, and everything is transitory, right? So dep- what do you mean by transitory to begin with? Uh, you know, high inflation becomes low inflation. If it happens seven years from now, is that transitory or, uh, you know, was it a permanent thing? But I was not expecting you to say that. So that that uh, that cracked me up. Real quick on REITs. You talked about REITs had a strong quarter and, you know, that turned them positive overall. What's your view on REITs? I don't know if we've talked about them at, at length. You know, do they belong in a portfolio uh, constant exposure or are they something that, you know, I've heard the, the viewpoint and maybe I share it, that they're very correlated to U.S. stocks. So, you know, they're not providing much of in terms of diversification uh, and, you know, return expectation. Yeah, they're they're a little complicated because they they do trade like stocks, uh, but they also have um, inflation sensitivity and interest rate sensitivity. Um, many investors buy REITs for the income, for the dividends, just like if you're a landlord to buy an apartment complex, you might be buying it for the current income. So investors buy REITs because um, they'll typically pay a, a healthy dividend. And when interest rates go up, like we have you know, lived through the last two years, and now you can get five percent on a money market or six seven percent on a core bond fund a REIT paying a dividend of three percent isn't that attractive anymore so what happens to the price 
you know, the, the price goes down a lot. And now that distribution yield isn't 3%, it's 4 or 5%, it becomes a little more attractive. So you, you have interest rate sensitivity there. And as a result, uh, rates have struggled over the last two years because, you know, two or three years ago, that, that 3% yield was attractive, but not anymore. So uh, there's been a headwind to the, the price. Um, and then you add the fact that um, REITs typically use leverage, so they're borrowing money. And when interest rates go up, investors have better opportunity sets elsewhere, but also the financing cost for the REITs um, goes up typically. And all else equal, that can reduce their distribution yield. So you have interest rate sensitivity built into REITs. Um, and I, I think that's what has helped them recently, like in Q4, how I mentioned um, the U.S. aggregate index returned 6.8, uh, which was more than its return for the year. So bonds did well. And REITs, it's the same story. It's just um, at a higher magnitude, REITs did 16.2 when their return for the year was only 13.7. So uh, th there's interest rate sensitivity built into REITs. So you just kind of need to know the risks you're taking. We look at it as taking more of a, a market weight exposure, which you know, might be a one to two percent position of of your equities uh, okay. to have some exposure there. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it is a kind of a convenient way of owning real estate. Real estate is a major asset class, and most people have primary residence, and most people probably do not have separate investment properties. And being a landlord is a hassle; um, can be for sure. Um, with REITs, you're a landlord without the hassle. So, you talk, when you said market weight, that means if you own an index you are getting REIT exposure? I can't answer that definitively. Some indices, like if you own a, a comprehensive like total market index, yes. Um, if you own more narrowly defined indices like the S&P 500 or QQQs like the NASDAQ, you may not own REITs. So okay. it right. does get a little bit too. It depends um, to whether or not REITs are included. So I know, Bob, your team has been doing a lot of work looking at portfolios for 2024 and we have a webinar coming up any previews maybe on what your team is looking at for uh, market expectations this year tweaks to portfolios and then maybe share a little bit about when the webinar is and what people can expect in that yeah so the webinar is on january 17th and i'll be presenting with brad long Brad Long is the chief investment officer at Fiducian Advisors, our investment consultant. We'll review our capital market expectations, which are 10-year forecasts for asset class returns. And just to give a, a sneak peek, um, what we do is in partnership with the investment consultant we work with, Fiducian Advisors, we look at valuations across asset classes and use those valuations to forecast 10-year expected returns. So when you think about what happened in 2023, bond yields went up and uh, stock prices also went, went up. Um, and with stock prices going up, there was um, what, what you could call multiple expansion. Stocks got a little more expensive. So when you um, think about what the capital market assumptions say, they are forecasting or showing a slight reduction in expected return from stocks because stocks got a little more expensive last year. Uh, meanwhile, bonds are looking a little more attractive because yields went up. So the conclusion, bottom line from them is um, compared to the beginning of the year in 2023, bonds are a little more attractive relative to stocks. 
So if an investor looks at their portfolio only once a year, which we don't do here, but if you, if you did and you reallocated on 1-1-2023 and now you show up and say, hey, I haven't looked at my portfolio for a year, what should I do based on everything that happened in 2023? The conclusion is, well, you might want to move a little money from stocks to bonds because the, the, the case for bonds improved while the case for stocks uh, weakened a little bit. But that, that we'll dive into that in much more detail along with um, the actions we're, we're taking for clients as a result. And this is typically our most popular webinar of the year, one of our, our biggest uh, events. So, you know, please register for it through our site, heritagefinancial.net. I think there'll be a link to it in the show notes for the podcast. If you register and are unable to attend, we'll send you the recording uh, but it's a great conversation with two chief investment officers just going back and forth on markets, asset classes, expected returns, portfolio outlook uh, for 2024 and beyond. Uh, so I encourage you all to attend. Yeah, it's at noon on the 17th. And we, we typically try and keep it to only 20 or 30 minutes. I know no one wants to listen to us ramble on for an hour. So it's <laughs> packed, packed with information and uh, we, we keep it efficient. Great. Bob, any other investment topics on your mind before we wrap up for today? No, I think that's good for today. That was awesome. Thank you for the recap of, of uh, 2023. Thanks for joining me on these episodes in, in 2023. As I uh, sit back, it was a, a rocky year, but I feel like we try to guide people through it monthly, just checking in on what's going on and separating the noise from things you needed to think about and, and putting those events in perspective. And uh, you are a huge part of that. So thank you and uh, look forward to the webinar. Thanks, Amy. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. We appreciate your feedback and questions. Please email us at wealthybehavior@heritagefinancial.net. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakamis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. There has not been and will not be any compensation exchanged between Heritage Financial Services and podcast guests or recommended resources.